The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. A successful opening day as a public company on a major stock exchange has long been the dreamed-of goal for aspiring startups. Amid a drought of stock market listings, The Views Room this week takes a look at what's holding them back, as well as attempts by big names like Barbie-approved sandal maker Birkenstock to break the logjam. Welcome back to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Jonathan Guilford, coming to you from New York. With initial public offerings, or IPOs, down sharply amid a tough market, a raft of companies and their early investors, whether venture capitalists, private equity or else, have been left waiting in line, forestalling the moment when management, their backers, and their employees stand to realize rich gains. Yet some brand names, like food chain Carver and beauty company Oddity, have pushed through to notch big debuts. With sandal stalwart Birkenstock reportedly preparing to try its luck next, I'm joined by London-based columnist and European IPO expert Pamela Bardilia, as well as New York-based columnist and startup specialist Anita Ramaswamy. Anita and Pamela, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Views Room. Uh, We're talking the IPO market today. And obviously for me, someone who kind of came up in the 2000s can't help but think of movies like The Social Network uh, and the uh, high-flying tech startups that led every VC to kind of chase the pot of gold at the end of the IPO rainbow. Obviously, past few years have looked a little different and a little cooler on that front. Uh, Anita, do you want to kind of talk us through what the US IPO market looks like these days? Yeah, for sure. So it's certainly not uh, 2021 anymore in the US. We saw a lot of venture-backed tech companies in particular going public during that time, and that has really slowed down. And it's gotten a lot of people to talk about how the IPO market and the IPO window for tech companies is all but but closed. We've seen a lot of bigger corporate carve-outs, but not very much activity in terms of venture-backed tech companies going public. Got it. And Pamela, I'm assuming in Europe, things have also been uh, kind of slowing down in uh, in the last couple of years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, this year is even worse than last year. Uh, so we only had the 65, 65 uh, IPOs in, uh, uh, in continental Europe. Um, Sometimes when people think of Europe, uh, they also think of the Middle East and they include the region as part of the uh, wider EMEA. And uh, what we notice actually is that there are two completely different trends between Europe and the Middle East. So EMEA is kind of (laughs) of working on different uh, uh, patterns uh, because while Europe uh, is in full decline, uh, the Middle East uh, region is actually booming in terms of IPOs. So there are different trends, but when it comes to continental Europe, um, really uh, the number of deals uh, is going down, is half the number of IPOs we saw last year, and we are 87% down compared to 2021. Um, So people are sort of very cautious also for the second half of the year in terms of expectations because it feels like big deals are um, totally off the mark for the moment, for the time being. I mean, we have seen some early signs of life recently, right? We had, uh, I think, Pamela, you were uh, taking a look at the um, Birkenstock IPO. And Anita, I know you've written recently on some of the consumer names that have come up. I mean, 
do you think that we are beginning to see any kind of reopening, even if it's just in some limited sectors, even if it's really mostly concentrated in the U.S. right now? I think in the U.S. there's definitely some green shoots. I mean, we saw a little bit of an uptick in the first half of 2023 in terms of just IPO activity. Things have been, you know, chugging along pretty quietly until Kava um, went public. And Kava is a Mediterranean restaurant chain. They are actually profitable. Kind of an interesting IPO because at that time, you know, when they went public, their shares popped 100% on the first day of trading. And a lot of, you know, bankers and market watchers and industry experts were, were looking at this and saying, hey, is this going to be the thing that really reopens the IPO window for everyone else? But really, at the end of the day, it's a lot of tech companies that are waiting in the wings to go public. And the the two recent ones that come to mind for me are Kava and then there's Oddity Tech, which is um, sort of an it's an Israeli makeup and beauty company. They listed in the U.S. and they also saw their IPO pop Um Savers Value Village, another consumer name, saw an IPO pop recently. So we're seeing a lot of activity um, out of the consumer space and from profitable companies in particular. But that doesn't necessarily read through um, or, or, you know, it, it hasn't seemed to have any effect on some of the bigger companies like Reddit and Instacart and Stripe that people are really waiting on. Right. I mean, some of those consumer companies have kind of given themselves a bit of a tech wrapping, right? Like, I, I know you kind of wrote about um, Oddity and how they dress uh, the yeah. market up in artificial intelligence. Uh, I kind of wonder, um, Pamela, do you, is there any analog for this in other markets? I know Birkenstock at least had the boon of the uh, the Barbie movie kind of uh, putting some wind in its sails. Is it these sort of one-off, like, can we wrap ourselves in some exciting narrative that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, uh, Birkenstock is definitely an exciting story, and they really got a boost because of the Barbie movie. Uh, so for whoever watched uh, the movie, there's a key scene, uh, and uh, and Barbie decides to choose Birkenstock or over high heels. Um, so they did, but the issue with Birkenstock and the especially for European bankers at the moment, is that they decided to listen to the US. So that's it's a German company, the manufacturing is in Germany, uh, but the US is the largest market uh, and uh, um, the, the fastest growing market as well for Birkenstock. So they decided to go overseas. You can't blame them because if you analyze the 10 biggest IPOs in Europe this year, they are only 3% above their IPO price. Um, we have rarely seen uh, uh, IPO deals uh, popping on, uh, on market debut. Um, so, of course, they want to play it safe. And also, Birkenstock is uh, backed by L. Catterton. This private equity firm uh, is also behind Audity. And, of course, after uh, getting yeah. a 40% pop on the first day of trading, uh, they, they decided to play it safe and go to the U.S. Uh, that, that's a huge miss for Europe, and especially from, for Frankfurt, because this is uh, uh, essentially a German company. Right. And they're not the only ones, right? I know um, um, the UK semiconductor company, I believe they're thinking about a US venue too, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, is this just a story of equity markets in Europe have been slower for a long time? And now, you know, we kind of see people cotton onto that, especially given that the, the uh, I guess, momentum for IPOs is so slow, you really want to, like you say, play it safe? Or is there any kind of policy effort that's underway to to make a dent in this or well, uh, there is a general slowdown in Europe. Interest rates are rising. Uh, investors are sort of 
risk averse and uh, and it's very difficult to sell uh, IPO deals at the moment to international investors so the deals that have gone through and those that were done in a decent way and I can only think of two deals ThyssenKrupp Nucera which is a hydrogen company so they could bank on uh, the sort of green wave and then Hydroelectrica which is an energy group in Romania they got done because they managed to sell it to either uh, anchor investors that's for uh, the case of Nucera or local pension funds but that's the case for Hydroelectrica which is based in Romania went public in Romania and had lots of uh, Romanian institutional investors back in the deal, partly because, of course, it's a state-owned company, so the government uh, encouraged local investors to uh, to support that transaction. Um, but I was talking today uh, to a company that decided to go public, a, a UK company, decided to go public in the US by a SPAC, actually the Michael Klein SPAC, and the obvious question was, why didn't you do this uh, uh, in the UK as an IPO rather than a SPAC deal? But again, uh, there was skepticism around the, uh, you know, the, the feasibility of doing a deal in Europe at the moment. So these are special purpose acquisition companies. These are listed companies that are just set up with a bundle of cash to simply acquire a private company and help take it public. So that kind of avoids the traditional IPO route, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a much easier way of, uh, of, uh, of going public. And usually it's the preferred way of going public for companies who have some issues with growth, uh, who are sort of... Uh, um, uh, you know, they could face some headwinds and so they prefer to to, to do a reverse merger with a SPAC and then automatically list. Um, and they've been in decline SPACs, as we all know, this boom is, is gone. There are still a few uh, SPACs in the, in the US looking for targets. And it's kind of odd to see um, a quintessentially UK companies, um, in this case, we're talking of corp um, Corp acquisition. Uh, this, it's an investment firm because it's a it's a portfolio of companies of UK industrial companies um, uh, that decided to go public uh, in the US. Um, it's not an obvious story for uh, US investors. Right, and like you said, that uh, the spec that they merged with that was run by Michael Klein, who of course is a famous dealmaker over in the US and really spearheaded the kind of SPAC boom. I mean, Anita, you've done some work kind of looking at uh, what's been happening with these black check, check companies. These were a huge part of the IPO market, right? Because obviously yeah. the SPAC itself has to IPO before it then acquires a company that can go public. So was that like a big chunky part of the, uh, the IPO market at its peak? It absolutely was. And at its peak in 2021, I mean, it felt like everyone was talking about SPACs. They were sort of this hot new thing. I mean, they had been around for a little while, but they really caught on around, you know, the the last couple of years bull market. And, you know, interestingly, it's actually SPACs have declined pretty significantly in the U.S. And this past quarter, the second quarter, U.S.-based SPAC debuts were at a new low. There were only four that have been launched so far in this quarter. And, and, you know, you can compare that to 2021, where in the first quarter, we saw 278 blank check companies going public in the US. So right. things have really, really slowed down on that front. And it's kind of funny, right? Because that felt almost, to me at least, like the apotheosis of the whole tech guys chasing the big equity markets payoff, right? Because these were 
uh, I believe, doing deals with very young private firms. They were projecting out like half a decade's worth of growth. I remember looking through some of these um, uh, pitch decks and it, they would just project like, oh, yes, we don't have any revenue now, but we'll have parabolic growth going yeah. forward. <laughs> Hundreds of percent uh, increase in uh, in revenue. We're going to be profitable in five years. I mean, I'm presuming that not all of that worked out, right? No, that most SPACs actually are trading below their um, initial offering price. And, you know, that market has really cratered over time. And, you know, to your point about tech, too, I mean, if we look at venture backed tech companies in the US as well, there's only been one IPO for a company that's based in the US so far that had an exit valuation of $1 billion this year. And that was Kava. So we're also seeing that, you know, there are some deals getting done. But they tend to be a lot smaller. And I think that's really hurt, um, you know, venture firms. And it's hurt sort of the tech space a little disproportionately in the U.S. Well, that's the thing, right? There are sort of downstream effects from not being able to say to, I presume, to your employees, but also to your investors, oh, you know, it's fine. In five years, wherever this business goes, we can, you know, take this to the market and we can all get a payday, right? It's an issue in Europe, especially for uh, private equity backed companies, because their investors uh, sort of want to realize their investments. And now uh, they, of course, are the, finding it difficult to sell companies because of uh, limited financing in the market and, uh, and IPOing is just not an option. There was a big one that we've been expecting in Europe for the past couple of years. That's the IPO of Galderma, which, we, which is a Swiss skincare company, a Botox maker, um, backed by EQT. And EQT has been trying, has been working on IPO for this company, uh, which is expected to be worth uh, at around, you know, 20, 25 billion dollars. Uh, but it's still not happening and they still don't feel confident enough to pursue it. They recently decided to do a private placement. Uh, but uh, the IPO, the big IPO is off the mark at least until 2024. And that's a difficult company for, for EQT to sell because it's a huge business. Uh, they would need to break it up to be able uh, to do it, to, to sell it, but they don't want to do it, of course. So they're just waiting. And that same actually is, um, is happening for, for um, another big private equity investor, which is um, CVC Capital Partners. And CBC actually wants to pursue an IPO for the entire for their own business. Um, again, that was supposed to happen in Amsterdam. It's been two years on and off. They've been working on this for two years. It's still not happening. The market is not there. Right. And like you say, this is a big issue for these bigger companies, right? Because they can't sell. There's no way for these investors to get out of them. I, I presume that means, uh, Anita, kind of like you were saying that there's this uh, lineup of older, bigger, especially tech companies, are they just stuck? For the time being, they might be, but there is one factor that's sort of putting pressure on some of these companies. And we saw this with Stripe, which has been a long anticipated IPO in the US and, um, you know, potentially with Instacart, neither of them has gone public. But what happened with Stripe is that their employees really want some liquidity. They want to be able to cash out. And that usually comes in the form of an exit. And at the same time, you know, Stripe has really strong financials. And so they were able to broker a deal with their private venture backers to sort of push the ball down the road so they don't need to actually go public right now. 
but not every company has that luxury. So there are other tech companies like Instacart, like Reddit, where, you know, employees might be feeling a bit of a squeeze and hoping for some liquidity. But at the same time, these companies are still not going to want to move forward if the market um, hasn't hasn't proven that it's ready to give them the valuations that they want. I think valuation expectations between IPO buyers and sellers are still mismatched in some ways. Right. And like you say, it's it's a pressure not just for the investors who back these things, who want to be able to free up their money, not just for management who want to be able to go public, but also for the employees who are often paid in shares that just they can't trade yet, right? Yeah. And in tech, that's usually a huge part of employees' compensation packages. So they're understandably um, sort of trying to put pressure on management to take the companies public. But at the same time, you know, the, the market conditions are just not there. There hasn't been enough validation yet. There's been some validation from Kava, from Audity in the consumer space. But really what at least I'm going to be watching is sort of what is the, the big tech company that decides to go next? Right. That's the the important thing, right? Like, what are we looking for? What are we waiting for that will say the market is getting better? Pamela, I don't know if there's any kind of... Well, the funny thing is that Europe is always looking at the US. When I ask IPO bankers in Europe, they're like, oh, we, we're just waiting for the US to come back and to pick up. And then investors will start looking at us as well, uh, because the appetite at the moment is uh, for Europe is just limited. Um, there's an interesting story, actually, uh, in Europe, uh, with uh, an IPO that happened in February, Jonas, uh, in Germany. That is a tech IPO. It was a spin-off of United Internet, and it was meant to be the icebreaker for uh, for Europe. First IPO, first sizable IPO in uh, in the region. And now, if you look at it, uh, this performance is, is terrible. Uh, it's trading 23% below its IPO price. And uh, similarly, just a month ago, we had CAB payment in London, again, payments business. Um, so there was some expectation of, uh, of a decent performance, uh, but again, today is a 14% below the IPO price. So even for tech, uh, the, the, uh, the chances of a successful deal uh, is, uh, is uh, next to zero. Um, so what Europe is doing is at the moment is of course holding off, waiting for things to improve overseas, and then hoping international investors will come back. Anita, what should what should they be looking at in the U.S. Uh, as they kind of wait for the, the gates to open again? I think it'll be really interesting to see if any companies end up going public that are not profitable, because that's been a big distinction. You know, in 2020 and 2021, we saw a lot of companies with either like, you know, really nascent profitability or no profits at all go public at sort of robust valuations, too. Um, and this year so far, we haven't seen any of that. So that's sort of why, you know, Kava was was a encouraging sign. Oddity's debut was an encouraging sign, but I, I'm definitely going to be watching to see, you know, what the what the profitability profile looks like of the next couple of companies that decide to take the jump. And I, I have a feeling and, you know, just from my conversations with bankers and different experts, everyone's sort of expecting that that's not going to happen until either late this year or early next year. Got it. Well, thank you both so much for your time and for joining me on The Views Room. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslick in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on breakingviews.com or on the X social media platform, formerly known as Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. 
Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.